Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Soul Patrol Jesus 911. We're called to be great saints. Don't miss the opportunity. Welcome. Welcome to Jesus 911. My partner Paul Clay is uh, on the road, so he won't be on today. So I'm just a one man car. <clears throat> today I want to talk about can Catholics believe in near death experiences? <clears throat> care of the Magiscenter.com. It's a good article put out by the Magis Center. Can Catholics believe in near death experiences? Hmm. Just want to remind you, we're at the end of the month of February. It's still dedicated to the Holy Family. This is a special devotion that began back in the 17th century, which proposes the Holy Family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph as a model of virtue for all Christian households. And uh, this devotion goes back into Egypt. Uh, when the Holy Family, they fled from King Herod, into into Cairo, Egypt, the Egyptian Christians, both Catholics and Orthodox, have had a devotion to the Holy Family ever since the very earliest times of Christianity. Okay, let's get right to it. Can Catholics believe in near-death experiences? Everybody's going to die, 100% of us. <clears throat> Nobody gets out alive. And so <clears throat> most people have probably never thought about that. Every second, 1.8 human beings die. Every second, 1.8 humans die. In other words, time waits for no man. The, the thousands of life after death experiences have been documented by medical doctors. And this demonstrates that there is life after death and the body has an immortal soul. So can Catholics believe in near-death experiences? Often, Catholics feel uncertain about what to make of their near-death experiences. <clears throat> Doctors call them NDEs. On the one hand, NDEs provide powerful testimony of the immortality of the soul and the existence of God. On the other hand, many near-death experiences contain elements difficult to square with church teachings. So we're going to look at, we're going to take a look at both sides of the Catholic discussion on near-death experiences. What would be the Catholic view on near-death experiences? Near-death experiences can be associated <clears throat> with the idea that God doesn't care about religious doctrine. Certainly, near-death experiences don't usually feature a direct revelation from God declaring that the Catholic Church is the one true church founded by Christ. This may strike some Catholics as odd. Why wouldn't God communicate Important information like this. 
Furthermore, the vast majority of reported near-death experiences depict a positive view of the afterlife. Promoters of near-death experiences sometimes draw the conclusion that heaven is easily available. But of course, many Catholics <clears throat> find it difficult to reconcile this, this whole notion of heaven is easily available when you look at our Lord's words in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where our Lord Jesus Christ says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. That's eternal life, is Zoe, the Greek word. And there are a few who find it. Hmm. These are very valid concerns for faithful Catholics to have. So when we, when we look at all the information available to us, we see that near-death experiences need not imply that God doesn't care about religion. What's more, near-death experiences can provide strong testimony to the existence of a transcendent soul, to the possibility of the resurrection of the body, and to God's nature as unconditional love. So the question is, <clears throat> do near-death experiences imply that everyone goes to heaven? When you're reading about multiple accounts of near-death experiences, it's natural to begin to wonder what they imply about religion and morality. They may seem to suggest that everyone who dies will see the loving white light and that everything is going to be wonderful regardless of how that person lived their life. Could this be a deception that's trying to make people think that how they live their life doesn't matter? After all, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, we read that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. But the fact is, even in the most convincing of false consolations, one can still sense the presence of darkness. The demonic spirit is not going to love somebody into a kind of heavenly state. It's not within their capacity as dark beings. On their face, it seems unlikely for these experiences to be demonic deceptions. While the vast majority, around 98%, of reported near-death experiences are positive, we should also consider a few other statistics. Consider that 85% of children who are resuscitated from clinical death have a near-death experience, but only about 9% of adults have a near-death experience. We need to ask the question, what about the other 91% of adults? I mean, they're clinically dead. They have fixed and dilated pupils, a flat EEG, an absence of gag reflex, and their brain is essentially sputtering on almost nothing. Why shouldn't they, too, have a near-death experience? For Catholics, <clears throat> it might occur that those who are destined for purgatory are not going to experience this fullness of the white light of God. Perhaps there's something left first for them to do some final purification they must undergo. In that case, 
it would be reasonable to suppose that they would not experience a near-death experience full of loving white light. It's also worth bearing in mind that 1-2% to of people who have near-death experiences do have negative experiences, and the negative ones are dark indeed. At the very least, we can conclude that near-death experiences are quite compatible with the view that how we live our lives matters for the next life. Near-death experiences are evidence of the transcendent. Upon leaving the physical body, a near-death experienced patient journeys to a trans-physical state in which he or she frequently meets deceased relatives. One peer-reviewed study reports an encounter with a child, whom we shall call John, who underwent a near-death experience. John woke up from his coma to tell his parents, I've seen, I've seen, or I, I've just seen Aunt Nellie in San Francisco, and she told you that, she, and she told, and she said to tell you, she's all right. John woke up from the coma to tell his parents. The parents were astonished to hear this. They hadn't seen Aunt Nellie in years, and John had never met her subsequently found out that Aunt Nellie had died of a heart attack in the streets of San Francisco at the exact same time that John underwent clinical death in St. Louis, Missouri. This encounter demonstrates the common ability of near-death experienced patients to converse with the deceased. Other patients describe events that occur in the hospital room or exact conversations between loved ones in the waiting room as they lie clinically dead. When properly vetted, Catholics could use these reports as evidence to show that there is more than just physical reality. But what does the Bible say about near-death experiences? Christians often appeal to the Bible either in support of near-death experiences or against them. The Bible, however, does not contain unambiguous references to near-death experiences. It does, on the other hand, leave the door open for at least some near-death experiences to be genuine. For example, near-death experience skeptics might point to Hebrews 9.27, where it says, It is appointed to mortals to die once, and after that, the judgment. Close quote. So, if we're supposed to die once and then be judged, how can someone have a near-death experience? Wouldn't they end up dying twice? Why, aren't we judged at that time? Well, without delving too deep into this topic, we can say that it's important to read any line of Scripture in the context of the rest of the Scripture. We'll hold it right there. Jesus 911, near-death experiences. Can a Catholic believe them? We'll be right back. Stick around. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, 
Dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, talking about near-death experiences. What do Catholics believe about them? And can we believe in near-death experiences? Um, If you look at the Bible, many near-death experienced skeptics would go to Hebrews 9.27, as I said, where it said, it is appointed for mortals to die once and after that the judgment. But, uh, near-death experienced deniers would say, well, um, if uh, if we're supposed to die once and then be judged, as as the Bible says, then how can someone have a near-death experience? Wouldn't they end up dying twice? Uh, Aren't we judged at that time? But without delving too deeply into this topic, we can say that it's important to read any line of scripture in the rest of the in the context of the rest of the Holy Bible. So, with this principle in mind, we can say we can see that a, a too strict reading of Hebrews nine twenty seven would contradict other parts of Scripture. For example, if we can die only once, then Christ would not have been able to raise Lazarus from the dead. Think about that. Consequently. We understand Hebrews 9.27 and we can be sure that it allows for the possibility of something like a near-death experience. On the other hand, <clears throat> the Bible does have positive correspondences with near-death experiences. In, in For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verses 35, 35-58, St. Paul tells us that we will have glorified spiritual bodies in heaven. So, a majority of people who undergo near-death experiences describe that they have had a new transphysical form. This form was not subject to the laws of nature. Patients would hover above their physical bodies like an angel, passing through walls of waiting rooms and hospitals, ascend multiple floors of hospitals, and frequently go to the other side. That, to me, sounds like what St. Paul talks about, the properties of the glorified body that we will possess or the powers of the, of the uh, immaterial soul. Although this transphysical form differs from Jesus' resurrected body in terms of power and glory, recall that in Scripture, Jesus appeared as a spirit and walked through walls. Moreover, St. Paul tells us that, that in our glorified bodies, we will still be embodied able to use our five senses. This embodiment corresponds to reports of near-death experiences as those undergoing one frequently are able to recognize the physical features of deceased relatives. Thus, on account of the transphysical form of near-death experiences, being able to transcend the laws of nature, there is a partial correlation between the transphysical form and what St. Paul describes as the glorified body. Near-death experiences, who knows? They just may be God's unconditional love. Another similarity between revelation and near-death experiences is the overwhelming presence of love that those feel while undergoing a transphysical journey. When patients cross over to the other side, they often encounter an overwhelmingly loving white light. 
a significant percentage of near-death experienced patients describe this light as loving, affirming, affectionate, and finally compassionate. The transphysical form feels absorbed by this loving light while, while still keeping its own identity. The love and benevolence of the white light seems to indicate the intention of a loving God to fulfill our greatest desire, namely unconditional love and joy with God throughout eternity, which resembles Jesus' revelation of God the Father. Catholics who are interested in near-death experiences often parallel often they notice parallels between them and the stories of the saints. For example, there's a story which is told of St. Philip Neri that at his request, a young prince was temporarily returned to life. The prince then recounted meeting deceased relatives in the afterlife. You have many other saints such as St. Catherine of Siena or St. Faustina, they're also, they're also held to have had visions or experiences of the afterlife. It's natural to wonder whether these visions are relatable to near-death experiences. <clears throat> it's useful to clarify here what the church teaches regarding private revelations or visions such as these. Church approval for these cases means that Catholics may believe in them rather than, rather than that Catholics have to believe in them. The church does clearly hold, however, that God can give us the grace of an experience of the afterlife. Suppose that a Catholic, after experiencing his best judgment on the available scientific evidence, comes to believe that near-death experiences are genuine experiences of the afterlife. It would be premature to say that near-death experiences are exactly the same as the visions God has granted various saints. But there is a very real possibility that near-death experiences are God's graces for us along the same lines as the visions of the saints. So what can Catholics learn from near-death experiences? Clearly, not all near-death experiences are consistent with the teachings of the Catholic Church. So prudent Catholics should take near-death experiences, near, they should take near-death experience anecdotes with a grain of salt. We must beware of manipulative agendas and unbalanced individuals. In other words, crackpots. But even well-intentioned and rational and balanced individuals can misinterpret the meaning of their near-death experience. As in the case of visionaries, trained theologians, and spiritual experts, they aid in understanding and interpreting any particular message or vision. As St. Paul references in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, where he lists the spiritual gifts. Respected scientists have conducted rigorous studies on near-death experiences. A significant body of evidence now exists indicating 
that some near-death experiences are genuine. So how should faithful Catholics respond to this evidence? To be clear, <clears throat> the church does not have an official position on near-death experiences. But in several main areas, the typical elements of near-death experiences parallel church teachings. First, near-death experiences show that we do, in a real and meaningful sense, survive after physical death. This evidence confirms the church's teachings on the immortality of the soul. Second, <clears throat> near-death experiences suggest that the essence of eternal life is love. Love is made manifest in near-death experiences by the loving white light, the love of Jesus, and the love and joy of deceased relatives. Thus, near-death experiences point to the truth of the central Christian tenet that God is love. 1 John 4, 6. Third, the experience of beauty and joy in many near-death experiences complements Catholic teaching on heaven because according to the Catholic Church, heaven <clears throat> is the state of supreme and ultimate happiness and joy. So, let's go right to the question. Can Catholics believe in near-death experiences? Just like apparitions, Catholics should exercise good judgment when evaluating any particular near-death experience. But given the rampant materialism of our culture, near-death experiences can be an occasion for us to praise God's mercy. God does not fail to provide us with all the help we need to hope in Him. Near-death experiences seem to me to be consistent with what the Catholic Church has taught. Generally speaking, it seems to be consistent. When it comes to near-death experience stories, there are many unscientific writings based on the writer's own agendas rather than actual evidence. However, there's also a growing a growing body of legitimate research around near-death experiences called NDE reports and scientific peer-reviewed journals have published several medical studies on this subject. So I want to explore some of the common elements of near-death experience stories, what it means when a near-death experience can be verified and I want to give you some credible near-death experience short stories. <clears throat> and I want to try to outline the top five things to remember about near-death experience. So what are the common elements in stories of near-death experiences? For a near-death experience to occur, one must have limited brain function yet still have a sensory experience without full use of their physical senses. In the United States alone, about 9 million people have reported experiencing a near-death experience. 
The patient's reports reveal a pattern of recurring of several recurring themes or elements. These elements include first bullet, an out of body experience, second bullet, accurate visual perception while out of the body, third bullet, accurate auditory perception while out of the body, fourth bullet, feelings of peace and painlessness, next bullet, light phenomena, encounter with loving white light, next bullet, the review of their whole life, next bullet, being in another world, next bullet, encountering other beings, next bullet, they have a tunnel experience, and next bullet, they have a precognition. On the next segment, I want to talk about three ways to verify a report of a near-death experience story. How do you verify this? You're listening to Jesus 9-1, One Man Car, Jess Romero, talking about near-death experiences. We'll be right back. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911. Today's psalm is blessed are they who hope in the Lord. Psalm chapter, psalm chapter 40, verse 5. Blessed are they who hope in the Lord. Today's saint of the day. The king of Northumbria, from 634 to his death, St. Oswald is venerated as a saint. He had a large following, was generous with the poor, and spread Christianity all over Northumbria. His reign is surrounded by legends. Also, have you heard of Catholic guilt? That's interesting. Catholic guilt is not a thing. Catholic guilt is that tendency of Catholics to be hypercritical of their own moral behavior or to be haunted by a sense of culpability. To fear God's condemnation over things that really aren't a big deal. This concept is a myth. Sure, some people struggle with scrupulosity. But the Catholic Church defines a harmonious balance between looking inward for the problem. And looking outward in a culture that increasingly avoids responsibility and blames the system. Alright, back to near-death experiences. So, the question is, can a Catholic believe in near-death experiences? Absolutely, it's consistent with the teachings of the Catholic Church. Three ways to verify a report of near-death experience, in some cases, where patients undergo clinical death and and then return to physical life, they report that they maintain consciousness during the clinical death, despite the absence of brain function. Since this clinical death often happens in a hospital setting with professional medical oversight, thousands of these near-death experiences have been sufficiently well-documented for scientific study. I know one, in fact, my friend Paul Zuccarelli, who lives out here in the Phoenix Diocese. He even wrote a book on his near-death experience called Faith Understood. In other words, he understood the Catholic faith clearly. Uh, when he went, he when he went through this near death experience, 
But there are three ways to verify the transphysical nature of a near-death experience. Number one, veridical reported data. Number two, visual perception of blind. Number three, personal information about deceased individuals. So each of these kinds of evidence is verifiable by independent researchers after the fact, and all of them are exceedingly difficult, if not impossible to explain by merely physical or physiological theories such as hallucinations or narcotics or anoxia. Let's start with veridical reported data and visual perception of blind. Frequently, during near-death experiences, some transphysical component leaves the body but does not go immediately to another worldly domain. Instead, it remains in the resuscitation room or somewhat near the body. Some of these reports have highly unusual or unique characteristics that are not part of the ordinary resuscitation or hospital procedures. Additionally, some patients blind from birth report visual data accurately about their experiences during clinical death. As such, the details of these near-death experiences, these stories can be verified by hospital staff and others who were present at the time. When the claims of a near-death experience have been verified, the account is deemed veridical. Virtually every peer-reviewed study reports multiple instances of such veridical data. There's also personal information about deceased relatives. Many near-death experiencers near-death experiencers meet deceased relatives whom they had never met in their own lifetime. They can only identify the relatives later in a photo or by describing them to a living relative who knew the deceased. Let me share with you some stories of near-death experiences. Here's one. Finding dentures. In 2001, a study by renowned cardiologist Pim von Lamel, a man who had been in a deep coma, later told a nurse that he recognized her. He told her that he saw where she had placed his dentures during resuscitation efforts and then described the cart where she placed them. They were there precisely as he described it. Here's another near-death experience story. Number two, a child meets relatives. One man who had a near-death experience as a child recalled the experience of meeting dead relatives. He says, "There there were some presences there. There were some ladies. I didn't know them at the time. They were so loving and so wonderful, and I just didn't want to come back. I didn't see any pictures of them until I was an adult. But then I said, oh yeah, they were my great-grandmothers who had died years before I was even born. Here's another near-death experience story, number three. This one's called Life Review. Often people relay their near-death experiences as a review of their lives. Though Life Review experiences cannot be deemed scientifically veridical, they are worth noting. They can have a profound effect 
on the near-death experiencer and sometimes cause them to re-examine their life and morals. Here's a a doctor's description of the life review of a near-death experience patient. He says, when he realized that collision, collision was imminent, the patient said, said that time seemed to slow down as he hit his brakes and went into an uncontrolled slide. Then he seemed to pop out of his body while in the state he had a life review, which consisted of brief pictures, flashes of his life. His car struck the truck and the truck bed crashed through the window causing multiple injuries to his head and chest. Medical reports show that he was in a coma and nearly died. Yet he had a vivid sensation of leaving his physical body and entering into darkness. He had the feeling of moving up through a dark tunnel toward a point of light. Suddenly, a being filled with love and light appeared to him. Now he had a second life review or a life review proper one guided by the being of light. He felt bathed in love and compassion as he reviewed the moral choices he had made in his lifetime. He suddenly understood that that he was an important part of the universe and that his life had purpose. Here's near-death experience story number four. This one's called Traveling Through Walls. Some near-death experiencers report stories of veridical, means verified, out-of-body experiences, including traveling through walls to the waiting room where they see relatives and friends. One patient reported traveling through a wall and seeing her young daughter wearing mismatched plaids, which was highly unusual. Another woman traveled through a wall and overheard her brother-in-law in the hospital waiting room talking to a business associate in a very derogatory manner, she was able to report this back to him later. (laughs) Can you imagine? Near-death experience number five. A blind woman has her sight restored. As I mentioned before, some blind people report being able to see during their near-death experience. Psychiatrist Brian Weiss tells a story of a blind elderly woman. He says, She suffered a cardiac arrest during her stay in the hospital where I, Dr. Weiss, was chairman of the psychiatry department. She was unconscious as the resuscitation team tried to revive her. According to her later report, she floated out of her body and stood near the window watching the resuscitation. She observed, without any pain whatsoever, as they thumped on her chest and pumped air into her lungs. During the resuscitation, a pen fell out of her doctor's pocket and rolled near the same window where where her out-of-body spirit was standing and watching. The doctor eventually walked over, picked up the pen, and and put it back in his pocket. He then rejoined the frantic effort to save her. They succeeded. A few days later... She told her doctor that she had observed the resuscitation team at work during her cardiac arrest. The doctor says, no, no. He soothingly reassured her. You were probably hallucinating because of the anoxia, the lack of oxygen to the brain. This can happen when the the heart stops beating. 
but I saw your pen roll over to the window, she replied. Then she described the pen and other details of the resuscitation. The doctor was shocked. His patient not only had not only been comatose during the resuscitation, but she had also been blind for many years. Wow. So what can these near-death experiences tell us about consciousness, the afterlife, and God? Well, the above five cases that I just shared with you of near-death experiences give considerable probative evidence of transphysical consciousness after bodily death, which is not explained by current physicist or, or physicalist explanations and is unlikely to be presented by future ones. Nor can it be explained by the medical world. This challenges certain ideas of consciousness. Dr. Bruce Grayson of the University of Virginia School of Medicine says the following, These features and the occurrence of heightened mental functioning when the brain is severely impaired, such as under general anesthesia and in cardiac arrest, challenge the common assumption in neuroscience that consciousness is solely the product of brain processes or that mind is merely the subjective concomitant of neurological events. You're listening to Jesus 911. I'm going to continue talking about near-death experiences. If you want to take a look at the show material where I'm drawing this from, go to vmpr.org, vmpr.org, or my website, jesseromero.com, jesseromero.com. This article compliments of magiscenter.com. We'll be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, talking about near-death experiences. Hey, somebody uh, sent me yesterday uh, two articles. I just want to mention them. I'll go back to near-death experiences. One article says this. It's from msn.com. It says this, Americans are unwittingly exposing themselves to tattoo inks that contain organ-damaging chemicals. Disturbing new research has revealed. An analysis of 54 inks commonly used in tattoo parlors across the U.S. has uncovered that a whopping 45 of them contain unlisted additives or pigments, including chemicals known to pose serious health risks. Another article uh, by the Daily Mail UK It says, 90% of tattoo ink contains chemicals that can cause organ damage, study finds, which more Americans than ever uh, ever are now inked. About a third of Americans have at least one tattoo, statistics suggest, but experts are warning that their ink may contain contaminants. More than 9 in 10 people who get tattoos in the U.S. could be unwittingly Exposing themselves to chemicals that cause organ damage, a study suggests. Tests in New York on 54 ink samples found 45 contained compounds that were not listed on the label. And the most common was polyethylene uh, glycol, a compound that has been linked to damaged organs, including a type of necrosis in the kidneys. Just thought I'd mention that. Somebody sent me these links yesterday. I thought it was appropriate to mention that to the audience. 
I tell people, yeah, don't get tatted. You know why? Because Jesus is going to take them off anyhow. If you die in a state of grace <clears throat> at the resurrection of the glorified body, your body's going to be made perfect, just like it was when you were born, like a baby. No blemish, no spot, no wrinkle. And so Jesus is going to take out your tat, you take away your tattoos immediately, instantly. All right, let's go back to the importance of near-death experience stories. So, again, there's a growing body of legitimate research around near-death experience reports and peer-reviewed scientific journals have published a number of actual medical studies on this subject. It's been verified. Near-death experience stories provide evidence that we have a soul and that the soul does indeed continue beyond death. The evidence for a positive, loving experience after bodily death urges us to no longer limit happiness to our physical existence, but to explore transcendent and eternal happiness both now and in eternal future. Then that eternal happiness is gained. By knowing the meaning and purpose of life, which is what? To know, love, and serve God in this lifetime and to live in a dying state of grace. And when we die, to spend all eternity with Him in the next. People ask, when is the most important time of my life? It's the moment that you die. The moment of decision is the moment you die. There is no other more important moment than the moment of decision. Did you choose God? Questions that people ask themselves, where did I come from? Well, you came from mom, dad, and God, by the way. People ask, what's wrong with this world? What's wrong? Sin. Sin. People ask, what can be done to fix it? Well, live And teach the gospel. And be a disciple of Christ. So what's my purpose in life? It's to know, love, and serve God in this lifetime. And when you die, spend all eternity with Him in the next. Remember, even the longest journey requires that the first step be taken. And we are on a journey to our Father's house we are on a journey to our father's house heaven's also called fatherland fatherland and i'll tell you what the good news is i'm going to give you the good news right now there's a common saying that we will always be remembered by the way we ended so it will be with the state of our soul at the end of our life when we die, it's, it's, it will be likened to the making of pottery. When a clay pot is still moist, it can be shaped and molded and modified. However, when the clay pot gets put into the heat of the fire and it becomes hardened with that clay, that clay will remain in that shape forever. There will be no turning back or no more time, no more time to change. And so it will be at our judgment. Our soul will either be in a state of sanctifying grace or in a state of mortal sin. Our soul will be fixed and remain in that state forever. 
The person who fails to prepare prepares to fail. If we die before the second coming of Christ, we will be buried in the ground. On every tombstone, there are two dates. The day we were born and the day that we died. Then there's a dash in between those two dates. That dash will represent every single choice we have made in our life, either for God or against God. May that dash, that dash has everything to do with fulfilling the purpose of our existence, which is knowing, loving, and serving God in this lifetime and spend all eternity with Him forever. Our life on earth resembles a football game. We're playing against a powerful team, which is the world, the flesh, and the devil. The football field is the entire earth. Our goal is mainly to stay to the right of Jesus and to get to heaven. The opposite goal is mainly to stay to the left of Jesus and get to hell. The kickoff is when we're about seven. That's when we begin to know the difference between the two goals. That's when we begin to to gain or lose. The football is sanctifying grace. Every time we do good, we gain yardage. Every time we commit sin, we lose yardage. By making a good confession, we regain the ball. The sacraments refresh us during the game. They help us gain yardage. We play only one game. Your life is the Super Bowl. However, it lasts a lifetime. It lasts a lifetime. There is no clock to tell us how much time we have left. Death will mark the end of the game. There is no chance of a tie score. We either win or lose. If we win, we will win forever. The whole court of heaven will rush to congratulate us. Our reward will be so great that no one has ever seen, heard, or conceived of anything equal to it. If we lose the game, we lose forever. There are no do-overs. Life is one and done. You're on stage right now, performing before all of heaven. If we die in mortal sin, all of hell will be loosed, and all the evil spirits will rush. They will rush us to thrust in, thrust us into the abode of the damned souls. The pain of loss will be immeasurable and everlasting, and our name will be inscribed on the hall of shame forever. Therefore, church, therefore, family, play the game, be alert, be sober, play hard, pray hard, play with confidence, and get holy or die trying. I call this smash-mouth Catholicism. Jesus Christ is the great quarterback. You're called to be the wide receiver. Remember, Pope John Paul II, he used to tell us, open your hearts wide to Christ. Open your hearts wide to Christ. Jesus Christ throws that football at you. It's called the football of faith. Catch that football. Tuck it in your stomach, just like a mother holds her newborn baby. And set your sights on the goalpost and run 
to win. Run to win. Don't look left. Don't look right. Don't look back and become a pillar of salt. Run forward towards that finish line, keeping your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The good news is every one of us is going to die. We're born into a fallen world destined for damnation. That man does not have to suffer an eternity without God. That's the good news because God himself has provided himself as the Savior. The good news is that the Son of God came down from heaven and injected himself into human space and history and time and opened up an emergency escape hatch for us. We have a way out of eternal damnation. We have a Savior who can bring us salvation. Those who abide in him are saved. Those who do not abide in him are damned. The heart of the good news is salvation. Salvation can be had by each person. But while God loves us unconditionally, anyone can be saved. He does not save unconditionally. It requires cooperation from us. And that means turning away from sin, all sin, and receiving that sanctifying grace that makes us grow in holiness and gives us the strength to make it through this valley of tears. Well, church, well, family, that's a wrap. You've been listening to Jesus 911. Uh, stay tuned here on, on vmpr.org for all the great programming coming up. Mr. Engineer, what's next? Remember, church, Dr. Louis Sandoval up next. Dr. Louis Sandoval is a uh, not only a psychiatrist, but he's also a uh, He's also an expert on uh, the detection of somebody who's either mentally ill or possessed. He's been part of an exorcism team for many years. So stay tuned. Up next, you'll hear more from Dr. Sandoval. Stick around. You don't want to miss what's, what's next. And remember, I know sometimes you say, well, Jess, but I'm only one. I'm only one. Yeah, I get it. You're only one, and I'm only one. I can't do everything, but I can do something for Jesus. And what I can do, I ought to do. And what I ought to do, by the grace of God, I will do. Wake up, America. Don't hit the snooze button. Global warming alert. Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? Make sure before you die, you leave it all out on the field. God bless you. Keep the faith. See you next time.